0: This is a Discovery Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we invite you to find yourself in the bigger story. To find out more about what's going on in the life of the church, head to discoverychurch.com.au. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online and also on the podcast. It's great to have you all along with us today. All right, pick any sport, pick any art form, pick any occupation. There's going to be a conversation about who is the goat. Does everyone know what the goat is? The greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. Apparently, the, my, my son knows how to do this thing. There's, there's like a goat thing where you can do, where you be the goat, right? No, I'm doing it wrong. That, that, that's better, that's better. That's better. They're the horns and they're the ears. The goat, right? You might be thinking about, you might think about, I don't know, let's take, let's take cricket, for example, right? And everyone goes, oh, who's the goat? The greatest Australian batsman of all time. Someone's going to say Don Bradman, but then you're going to talk about era. Well, does 1930 Don Bradman beat, or is he better than a 19, uh, a, a, a 20, uh, 27, 2007, Ricky Ponting. You know, there's who wins that kind of thing? Is Pele the best soccer player of all time? Or if Pele was playing soccer, football now, would he still be the greatest of all time? We are obsessed with greatness. Humans, we're obsessed with it. And so the title of today's message is this. It is The GOAT. That is the title of our message. We're going to be exploring the illusion of greatness and the ways that we see ourselves. It's a great conversation to have. Who's the best actor of all time? Right? Of course, we think. Well, there's 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 a few possibilities, but there's a few that rise to the up. What's the best movie of all time? The greatest movie of all time? It doesn't matter what anybody says. For me, Godfather is up there. Right? I don't care. Godfather's going to be somewhere at the top of the greatest movies of all time. But again, there's eras because, you know, if the Godfather was made now, would it have been the same? All of that. We are obsessed with greatness. We're going to read today from Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 30, going through to verse 37. Let's read this together. So uh, from there, they went on and passed through Galilee. And he, that's Jesus, didn't want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. So then they came to Capernaum, and when he, while he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the goat. <laughs> he sat down and called the twelve. Come on, guys, let's just, let's just hang together for a bit. He said to them, if anyone will be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. Question. Are humans fundamentally bad or good? Like, take a human, put them into a vacuous room with no outside influences. Does that person do good things or bad things? Does that person tend towards generosity or selfishness? What kicks in first? Well, it's a bit of a silly question in the end, isn't it? Because the answer is it depends. It depends on so many other factors, but it's important because it reflects on the way that we see ourselves. Do you see yourself as someone who's fundamentally good or fundamentally bad? Or does it depend? I'm going to present today, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture in a minute, but I'm going to present to you today three fundamental ways of seeing ourselves as it relates to our own theology and our, and our view of self. The first one is this, worm theology. You've heard this one before. I'm bad, I'm horrible, I'm the worst. Here's the worm theology cycle. You try really, really hard, and then you fail. And then you come to the cross and go, Jesus, help me. I need saving. And then you come out of that and you're disappointed about life, so then you try harder. And then you fail. And then you come back to the cross and go, Jesus, save me. I'm a horrible, 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 despicable, bad sinner because I failed again. And then you're disappointed. And then we try again. And guess what happens? You fail. And then we go back to Jesus and go, Jesus, I'm the worst. Help, help, help. Right? And then you're disappointed. This is worm theology. Here's how worm theology sounds in practice. Here's some of the self-talk. Next slide. This is some of the self-talk of worm theology. I'm sinful and incapable of doing anything right. Does this sound familiar? I'm deeply flawed in every way. I'm never going to be able to reach my potential. What did I expect? Because you've heard this one. Well, after all, I'm only human. And then God hates me, but somehow Jesus saved me. I'm so bad. I'm so horrible. But somewhere, somehow, within the, the skerrick of the goodness of God's heart, he's managed to Find a way past all of that. Find a way past himself to save me. This is worm theology. The half-truth that gets told as the whole truth is the fall, Genesis 3. We live completely in the fall. Brokenness, fracture makes up the entire bulk of our lives, right? We look at life through a brokenness and fractured lens. All we expect is bad things. The result is we excuse our sin. Well, I'm only human anyway. So, we make an excuse for our sin. We explain away good deeds. Oh, it's not really me. It was God. Oh, it wasn't me. It was, you know, it, I'm not good. I'm, I've, in fact, I'm horrible. It was just, it was actually just good luck or it was fortuitous or something happened like that. Oh, man. It was, praise be to Jesus. And then we apologize for God's love. I, I'm so sorry. I, I can't believe God would love me. I mean,. Let's just, again, it's not me. I'm a worm. What can worms do? Second way of seeing the world and seeing yourself is everything is awesome theology. Here's where we start at the cross. We make our way to success. Move straight on to victory. Hashtag blessed until you get to the top. God status. Notice the small g. Right? Right? God status, God mode, I win the game, I own the game, right? This is everything is awesome theology. We don't, worry about, we don't worry about any of that other stuff. Nothing bad happens here. Only good things, only blessing, you know? So some self-talk. I'm always a winner. I don't have problems. I only have challenges. You like that one? It's actually not a problem, it's just a challenge to overcome. I'm the head and not the tail. I always live in victory. And God makes me succeed in every situation. I'm a winner. So the half-truth told as a whole here is we reflect only the image of, uh, the image of God in Genesis 2. So we kind of skip the fall bit. And we just go, oh, our unlimited potential Limitless, like, limitless power and zero problems. Maybe you know somebody like this. Maybe you are somebody like this. So the result is we actually hide our sin. We magnify our good deeds and we presume upon God's love. We don't talk about sin here because all I want to talk about is how good things are. And of course, God's, God loves me. I'm a legend. I'm awesome. Second way of seeing things. The third way of seeing things we're going to get to after the passage. So here we are, Jesus' final week's of his earthly ministry. He's making his way towards Jerusalem, which is where we get to Easter. We're celebrating his moving towards the cross. He's moving towards the ministry of the cross in Jerusalem. He has been transfigured earlier. He has told his disciples, this is the way that we are going, and we are now moving towards Jerusalem. So we start by going through Galilee, and the Bible says in verse 30, they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples. Jesus was well known in Galilee, but this was a stealth mission through Galilee. He had his head down, shades drawn, blackest legal tint on the car. They are just making their way through Galilee without being seen. Why? Why? Because he's got some things to talk about with his disciples. And you know when you've got something important to talk about? You need some space. You need some quietness. You know when you, like, you know those conversations that come up, you know, with you or your friends or your family or something? And you can't, you don't have an important conversation at a party. You have an important conversation over coffee or at the table or, hey, can we just have a minute? Who loves that? Hey, can we just, can I just talk to you for a minute? I hate that one. (laughs) Oh no. First thing I think, worm theology comes out, what have I done? Right? I've done something I know I have. I just don't know what it is. So Jesus wanted some quiet space to tell them something important. He, He says this amazing thing here where he says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. It's a wordplay, but a beautiful Jesus-like way of saying what was going to happen to him. The Son of Man, there's an antithesis there. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And it comes across in the English, which is awesome. And so they move through Galilee. They don't stop because they're going to Capernaum, which is most likely most commentators will say Jesus had a house in Capernaum. So he was making his way to Capernaum, and he gets there, and you, there's, there's silence on the rest of the way. Through Galilee and all the way to Capernaum, no more talking from Jesus. He's the parent in the front seat while the kids are talking in the back. He said his bit, the Son of Man's going to be betrayed into the hands of men. The rest of the journey, he's quiet. They reach Capernaum, and Jesus says to them, hey, so tell us about what you guys were chatting about. On the way here, I just overhear you talking a little bit, and I'm just, just interested. And they all went deathly quiet. The, the 12 were like, oh, nothing. Because they're all talking. Immediately after Jesus had just said what's going to happen to him, they're all talking about who's going to be the best. Who's going to be the greatest? Well, will Jesus... If Jesus' kingdom's coming, then I reckon... I reckon it could be me. No, no, it's not gonna be you. It's gonna be it's gonna be Bartholomew for sure. He's got all the best, he's got all the best skills, he's got all the best gifts, he's got the best tricks. No way, no way. Matthew's gonna be the best. He's gonna be the most used. No way, Peter's definitely the boldest in our group. He's gonna be the one who leads the charge when we're reigning, when we're in charge, when we've actually got the kingdom locked down and Israel is back on top again. They're discussing this. Right after Jesus has said the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of man, he's going to be killed, and then on the third day he's going to rise. The rest of the journey is filled with the disciples posturing about who's going to be the best. Now, this is not all bad because most likely, and um, they're thinking about who's going to be the most useful. It's not just all about like pride and position, but about who's going to be the, the gifted, the, the, the one who's going to really take the kingdom forward from Jesus, who's going to really be helpful to him in what he's trying to do. And of course, Jesus is now in a home and there's kids there. And, you know, in, um, in ancient Near East, you didn't name a child until the child was three because child mortality was so high, you didn't want to get too attached to a baby. So they didn't name them till they were three. And as a result, children didn't have any rights. They didn't have any status. They were kind of considered about the same, about the same level as an, as an animal or a pet in the house until they reached adulthood. Jesus takes a child, a small insignificant baby, and takes it in his arms. Mark's the only one who tells us that Jesus took it in his arms beautiful little piece of details. He takes the baby, this child, into his arms and says, you need to become like this. And this is what greatness is, as he holds greatness in his arms. He says, whoever receives this child, receives me, and he doesn't just receive me, but he receives the one who sent me. And if you want to be great, It's time to serve. If you want to be great, it's time to ditch the status, ditch the position, become humble and expectant, looking to the Father. Express the same qualities of wonder and humility of a child before your God. So third way, if it's not worm theology and it's not everything is awesome theology, the third option is Christ theology. And this is a big thanks to a uh, former teacher, a mentor of mine for the idea of this diagram, Peter Rowanfeld. Because in Jesus' life we see his conception, his birth, his growth, and then his death. But death is not the end. On the other side, we have resurrection, multiplication, and new life. This trajectory is happening inside the life of a disciple all of the time. All of the time. There is conception, birth, growth, death, resurrection, multiplication, and new life. It is happening in your life in multiple ways, all of the time, consistently, constantly working through your life. At any given time, you could find yourself anywhere on this spectrum. This is the life we see in Jesus. We celebrate his conception. We celebrate Jesus' birth. We celebrate his growth. We celebrate his death and resurrection. We celebrate his multiplication through the church by the Holy Spirit. And we celebrate the new life that comes on the other side, which then indeed moves back to conception again. Christ theology looks like this. God has made a way through my sin. I'm flawed, but I'm gifted. God's with me in my problems. There is victory through suffering and suffering and victory. God has succeeded in Jesus Christ and I am in him. The whole truth is we, re- we reflect both the death and resurrection of Jesus and live in the space between the present age and the age to come. And the result is that sin is confessed and forgiven. Good deeds flow from right relationship and we are grateful for God's love. The disciples were enamored with status and usefulness. And Jesus is saying the way forward and the way to see yourself is not the way that the world sees it, but to see it in death and resurrection. The son of man is gonna be betrayed into the hands of men. He's gonna be killed. But then on the third day, he is going to rise. Inside of that theological statement is every disciple's life, both death and resurrection always with us, always moving through us. What does this mean? How can we we somehow apply this to our lives today? We can apply it firstly by saying this. A, embrace suffering as a part of discipleship. And everybody said, amen. (laughs) I'm not saying embrace abuse. I'm not saying embrace or somehow lean into um, dysfunction. Not saying that. But I am saying... When somebody like cuts you off in traffic, or when you've got a medical condition, or when something's not going right, you can embrace that as a part of your discipleship rather than wishing it away or pretending that it does not exist. It doesn't mean you have to become it. Don't be your suffering, but embrace it as a part of of the way that God is using the world and the brokenness of the world to form you and shape you and help you become more like Jesus. And you go, well, but yeah, what about the resurrection? And I'm like, yeah, but what about the persecutions? What about what Jesus said? If you want to follow after me, take up your cross and follow me. The cross was something that was... It was an abomination to the people of the day. They saw people who were being ridiculed and harassed by Rome, taking a cross through the middle of the street, being humiliated. They would take it to the place where they would be crucified, and they had to carry it there. Like Imagine you having to carry your own electric chair to the room where you were going to be electrocuted. The same kind of thing. Jesus says, if you want to follow after me, there is a road that goes along with that following. See, the crazy thing about this is the world has nothing to do, can't do anything with suffering apart from saying that it's failure. The world can't compute suffering. The culture can't compute suffering. It doesn't know what to do with it other than say it's failure. It's a setback. It's a problem. Except in the kingdom of God, suffering is actually part of the victory. Which is why James says, when I, when, when, rejoice when you suffer trials of all kinds because it's the testing of your faith that produces perseverance, on and on, hope. and, hope. and you know, So there's this idea here that God has included as part of the kingdom program suffering and the, the brokenness of the world to actually form us and shape us, which is why some of the people who've suffered the most, not all, some of the people who've suffered the most are actually the most godly because they've learned some things through the journey that you just can't learn any other way. See, we can embrace it because we know that, that, that joy and that victory and that resurrection comes through it. Question time, what do I do with the suffering in my life? Do I push it away, cover it up, or expect it as punishment? All those three, by the way, are not good ways of dealing with suffering. You might push it away, you might cover it up, or you might expect, oh, of course that was going to happen to me because I'm a jerk, you know, like that? That's that's, that's That's worm boy talking right there. How might I see suffering as being able to be used... How is suffering able to be used to shape me into the image of Jesus? Now I know, just hold attention with me guys. I know some of you are freaking out right now because you're like, "I didn't. this is not what I signed up for. I didn't get up early and come out and be with God's people to learn about this. I don't even agree with that. Hold on, just hang in there. Hang in there. So embrace suffering as part of discipleship. Secondly, live in expectation of resurrection both now and not yet. You know, we're living in the middle of two worlds right now. We're living in the midst of a broken, fallen world. Jesus came and established a new kingdom that overlays over the top of this broken and fallen world. And we're kind of caught in between these two worlds right now until Jesus comes again. And so we live in expectation of resurrection both now and not yet. It's why we pray for healing now. It's why we, why we pray for breakthrough now. It's why we expect relationships to get better and to be healed now. It's why we expect those things to happen in our midst. It's why we expect people to change their life and turn around now because it's all resurrection power that's happening in our midst. And some of it, will not happen until he comes again. But doesn't stop me asking for it now. You see, there can be no resurrection without death. But following every death, there's the opportunity for resurrection. Some of us are so, like, um, suffering phobic that we're just praying for resurrection every day, but we don't expect to die in order to get it. You know Jesus said, unless a single kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it just remains a single seed. But if it actually dies, it that's how a seed works. A seed dies and then it produces fruit. So there can't be any resurrection without death, but I, I, I tell you, the hope is, the glorious gospel-centered kingdom hope is that following every single death, there is the hope of resurrection on the other side. Every time, at every level, you lost your job. There is hope for resurrection on the other side. You lost a relationship. There's hope for resurrection on the other side. You lost your health. There's hope for resurrection on the other side. You lost your life. Guess what? Hope's on the other side. Jesus is on the other side, and that's where he comes. Death has no more sting. It's lost its power. Sin has lost its sting. It's lost its power. Resurrection happens on the other side. Even in the midst of grief and pain and suffering that we experience right now, there is resurrection. And we get to live in the hope of that. And so don't you feel kind of like torn? These aren't binary experiences where suffering's on one side and resurrection hopes on the other side. They're both like, you know? You know, we see Jesus both divine and human all at the same time. It's kind of like that. All right, question time. How might I live... With one foot in the victorious resurrection story. I want to always have one foot in the resurrection story. Sometimes it feels like life's pulling you back into the old story. We've got to always have one foot over on the resurrection story. How might Jesus' resurrection shape my life now and in the future? Thirdly and finally, serve your way forward. This answers the question of what to do. Oh, if I very suffering, but I also live in the glorious hope of the resurrection, what do I do today? Here's what you do today. Serve your way forward. Here's what Jesus was trying to say to the disciples, right? Let's, let's, let's not worry about who the goat is. Let's just... Let's just put one foot in front of the other and let's become like children. Let's, let's expect a lot of great things from our Father and let's serve people along the way. Let's actually become lowly. Let's seek to take up those who are insignificant and who are powerless into our arms and receive them, as he did with that child. See, this is the highest calling. The highest calling of discipleship is loving the lowly. The highest call to live in both, in, in both the world to now and the world to come, the way that we get there and the journey from here to there is loving the lowly, is being, being a voice for those who are powerless, is seeking the welfare of the city, is bringing glory to the nations. He says, don't push yourself to the top, to the disciples, but don't, you know, just serve. Children don't have power and influence. In the ancient Near East, children don't have power and influence. Sometimes it feels like our world, you know, entire families are built around, you know, the three-year-old prince in the living room, but that's not how it was. (laughs) Zero power, zero influence. And Jesus said, this is how I want you to serve. Question time. What aspects of my life echo Jesus' words about serving? And how might I live so that those around me, especially the weak and powerless, are lifted up, esteemed, and honored? All right, amen. Let's stand. Band, you can come. All right. Hope you guys online are doing good. It's good to have you along today as always. You see... My friends, there's a, there is a biblical way to see ourselves that neither downplays or belittles, but also does not elevate above others. There is a biblical way to exist in the midst of life and kingdom life that does not downplay or belittle, but also does not elevate. It simply serves. If we can just get rid of the ranking system... I think we would be a long way ahead. This is a way that's found in embracing all of Jesus' kingdom ministry. It's experienced through his death and resurrection. You can't have one without the other, but I would not want to take one without the other. When we count the weak and powerless as more important than ourselves, we come closer and closer and closer to the heart of God. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for the table that you've set for us. We want to thank you for your love. We together acknowledge our brokenness and we strain our eyes forward to resurrection glory. We thank you that you're preparing us for glory through experiences of life now. We thank you that resurrection power is available now. And we look forward, God, to the resurrection, the new creation of all things. And so, Jesus, today I pray that you would help us to see ourselves as you see us, You're redeeming us. You're shaping us. You're transforming us to become more like Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on this Discovery Church podcast. Now go and find yourself in the bigger story.